Hello, darlings. Welcome to another fantastic week of Broadway Breakdown. You don't want to miss a minute of it. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Broadway Breakdown. Welcome and bienvenue. Welcome. 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 Welcome to Broadway Breakdown Week 2 of Cabaret. I am, of course, your host, bphips14 on Twitter, Instagram. A.K.A. Sally Bowles. A.K.A. Yes. Sally Bowles, darling. <laughs> Down to the green fingernails. Down to the green fingernails. You gotta go full out. Yeah, right? you gotta go full if out. If you can. Yeah. <laughs> if you can afford to. <laughs> and who are my lovely co-hosts? You want to introduce yourselves, ladies? One, two, three, Jackie B on all platforms. And I am Angela Struck. You can find me on Twitter at the Angela Struck and on Instagram and Snapchat at Angela Struck. And we are here for the film version of Cabaret this week. I know that that's a little confusing considering Joel Grey does both, but that's why we used Oncoming last week. <laughs> the same song, different person. Um, we're going to get a little bit into it in a second, but we're going to start off our show, of course, with our news this week, which is always brought to us by Robert Diamond and BroadwayWorld.com. Um, so it was announced Jennifer Holiday is going to be returning, or returning, yeah, to the Broadway in the color purple. I'm so excited. Again, I wish I like lived in Broadway so I could go live lived near Broadway. Broadway. Yes, lived right. on Broadway. I lived in Broadway. Lived in Broadway. <laughs> no, Just on lived, the street. lived near Broadway so that I could go see that. Yeah. Um, and she, of course, will be replacing Heather Headley. Yeah. Yeah. And she'll be leaving October second, and Holiday's going to take on October fourth takeover. Um, that's at the Bernard B. Jacobs Theater. So if you're in New York around that time, you can go see it and tell us how it is. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't. <laughs> we all have to make a trip out there. I know. And catch all the shows and then come back and report. Just, like, save up all of our money yeah. for, like, five years. <laughs> Don't spend anything. <laughs> then fly to New York or drive out, however we need to get there. Go see every show that we can on Broadway until we're broke and then come back. Yeah. That's a good I feel plan. Because like, I feel like that's two shows and then we're done. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nowadays. Um, and then Miss Saigon, this is really exciting. I'm really excited. Yeah. It's going to be taping. And go to U.S. theaters, which, and it's going to be, um... So do, they're doing a 25th anniversary. Yeah, so it's going to be the cast, and then they're going to bring back uh, Leah Salonga, Simon Bowen, and Jonathan Price uh, to kind of, like, they have that little trailer. If you go to the page, they have a little trailer that kind of shows them singing with their counterparts, which just makes me kind of sad, because Jonathan Price is so old. <laughs> he's also the High Sparrow for those Game of Thrones High Thrones Sparrow, fans. he's yes. in Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. yes. he was in Evita, the movie. Yeah. Um... And that is going to be hitting theaters September 22nd. Uh, oh, no, it's going to be filmed, sorry, September 22nd at 7 p.m. And it's going to be hitting theaters March 1st. No, no, it's going to be returned. Sorry, I'm messing this all up. I wrote it really weirdly. It's going to be returning to Broadway March 1st afterwards. And then it's going to be going into theaters. When is, I don't know if it says yet when it's going into theaters. But you can find more out about it, if I'm not saying it right, at fathomevents.com. It'll show you all the theaters it's going into. Um, and if you want to go to that 25th anniversary, you can also go there and buy your tickets or at the box office. I love how they do that, making theater accessible to so many people. Yes. You know? And they're doing it more. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's great. they're doing Newsies next month here in Los Angeles. Nice, yeah. 
which is going to be exciting. Love news for anyone going on that day. Or <laughs> I mean, for I mean, for shows like Les Mis, I saw the tenth anniversary Les Mis before I saw it in theaters. Right. So it's Me it's too. really nice to have those options. Yeah. Um, and it's nice because it's the actual version rather than seeing a movie. Right. Like which, I grew up with Cabaret, but it's obviously very different from the theater yeah. show. So this is like actually seeing the theater show. Yeah. Which is something you can't do unless exactly. you have a ton of money or exploring right. in your city. Or if somebody from the cast like has a videotaping, like a right. sketchy little tape. A bootleg. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Which you should never, ever do. Okay. We've all done that once. I'm right. just saying. I have watched bootleg I definitely theater. learned like Life with Harold like choreography when I was like younger to right. like a bootleg version of Full uh, Monty. <laughs> um. And then we have new details about Stephen Sondheim's new play. Yeah. Uh, it has Norm Lewis, because Robert Diamond loves me. Woohoo! Yes. And maybe Stephen Sondheim does, too. Yeah, maybe Stephen awesome Sondheim does, does, too. I feel like Robert show. Diamond is just finding anything that has Norm Lewis and is like, here, Jackie, I'll throw you a bone. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> but um, see, we don't, he was in, like, the test show. We don't know if he's actually going to be Yeah, in, if he's going to go full... If I he's feel like be he's going the, to, though. He better be. At least for, like, a month or two. He better be. Um, so that, uh, they had a workshop and that's how we kind of got these details. Uh, this is the first new Stephen Sondheim play in almost a decade. Yeah. You know what's sad though is like the actual premise doesn't sound very interesting to me. I'm like, how are you going to make that interesting? But it's like I, a fancy dinner party. I, I love yeah. Sondheim, so <laughs> I know. Well, his, his music and everything, it's amazing. Right. So. He made a painting interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. Brought it to life. So maybe he yeah. could take a new spin on something like that. Definitely. If anybody can do it, it's him. That's yeah. true. Yeah. And Norm Lewis. Yeah, and Norm Lewis. Um, I would watch Norm Lewis do anything, really. Yeah. I would watch him just, like, watching paint So it's going to be it's gonna be fuses of these two different films. Uh, the Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. 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 And The Exterminating Angel, which are both films of this guy, Louis Burnell. Burnwell. Um, and so they're... I don't know if it's for sure. They, they haven't said for sure, but the working title is Burnwell. Yeah, Burnell, however you say it. It seems like it's going to be kind of, I don't know, like, you know, just a kind of inspired by this filmmaker mm-hmm. kind of feel from what the article was saying. Like, like I feel like, his you know, like all that it. jazz, like about like Bob Fosse, since we're talking about, like, you know, it's just kind of like a feel of who that person was. And yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it could be. It could be just like his, like how um, if you watch the movie Hitchcock, it focuses just right. on the birds. Like it could be that director's right. time with just these two films. Yeah. Interesting. Um. And it doesn't have a director, but Joe Mantello was in attendance at the workshop, so there's now rumors that maybe he's going to be directing it. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, we have Barbra Streisand just released her new album. That came out on Friday. It's uh, amazing. There's two singles out on Spotify right now because I listened to them. I think you can get the full one at like iTunes um, on our Amazon. But if you want Spotify, they have like two little... Singles and they have a they have a preview like uh, on Broadway on breakdown Broadway, mm-hmm. of the Follies one, right? Um, I'm not. You know what's funny is like this is so terrible. I I should go to Broadway Hall for this, but I'm not a big Babs fan. I just I don't get the I don't get it. Get out! I know. Yeah. I feel like that's I like, like saying her. I don't believe in fairies. I know. Right? Right? I liked her Yentl, but that's like oh that's my not god. It. What about She's, Funny Girl? She can't. I don't do even like that wrong. musical. <gasps> Hello, Sorry. Dolly. Oh, my God. Get out. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I love you, Jackie B. <laughs> oh, my goodness. For those of you Plus, also, that's, that's our lovely engineer, Alexis Torres, that. back in the booth. I know. Everybody's today. hating because hey we don't like Babs. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just um, giving you crap because I love you. 
power to her. Like she's, what are you, talking you know, about? like I, I, I'm so like yay for women getting like she, she is famous, has made a lot of money by singing, and that's wonderful. I just, it's not for me. What and I, like, I also want to point out the article said that she has had a major hit in every decade. I yeah. think Cher has too. Just saying. I mean, I'm Just not gonna lie. I love Cher more than Barbara, saying. but yeah, I, I <laughs> well, am like I think what's amaz- I am like a stand for Cher. Yeah. I love Cher. I think what's amazing about Barbara Streisand is she changed the whole game for women as a lead performer. I mean, before her, I think women were kind of coy and you know genteel in their performance and not as like strong and grounded and fierce and you know not fitting this perfect image and everything. And I think that's what makes her so. Yeah. I love Barbara. Yeah. I'm Barbara over Cher. I love both. Yeah, me Barbara too. Yeah. Um, and I'll really quickly just read a list of kind of what the songs are you can find on this because I wrote them down. Uh, so starting off, you have At the Ballet with Anne Hathaway and Daisy Ridley, the new, the Star Wars, from the new Star Wars movie. Um, love, I'm excited to hear that. To mm-hmm. That one's on Spotify, like. so yeah. I heard yeah. that one. Uh, Loving You with Patrick Wilson. Ah, uh, he went to my high school. His mother was my voice teacher. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So my whole high school is like freaking out that he was performing with. (laughs) Yeah. Who Can I Turn To When Nobody Needs Me with Anthony Newley? Uh, The Best Thing That Ever Happened with Alec Baldwin. Uh. (laughs) I'm sorry. Why was Alec Baldwin in Rock of Ages? Why did Rock of Ages the movies ever happen? That was terrible. Why? That's why we're talking about a good movie movie. musical today. Someday we shall... Okay, you know what? I would love to ask fans what movie musicals or even musicals in general they'd like us to talk, to talk about, about yeah. mm-hmm. so do shout it out like, we, can, we can change yeah. up our lineup you know, yeah. you know but if it's gonna be Rock of Ages the movie I'm going to rip it to shreds well we're gonna have to talk about it John, but we'll both rip it to shreds it'll be very negative <laughs> <laughs> the musical I love the movie I'm not sure uh, we have yeah. any moment now with Hugh Jackman which I was also on Spotify that's the other one on Spotify and anything you can do with Melissa McCarthy which is mm. interesting I've never heard her sing Pure Imagination with Seth MacFarlane, Take Me to the World with Antonio Banderas, I'll Be Seeing You, I've Grown Accustomed to Your Face with Chris Pine. Oh no, he was in, um, yeah, he, was he in did a great job in um, um, Into, the, Into the, Woods. the Woods. I don't know, my mind was blanking. Uh, and then Climb Every Mountain with Jamie Foxx. And then she also has... Uh, That's a weird that one. That is yeah. a weird one, but <laughs> I am down That's for it. What I is it going to be, like a hip-hop version of like... I'm down for that. No, Climb Jamie Foxx actually has done a lot of yeah, like piano um, covers true. and stuff like That's that. That's true, but I, I can't imagine him singing like... Well, I didn't know what Sound of Music. I mean, he was in Annie. Mm. I just wanted to bring that up to see everybody's faces. Horrible movies, <laughs> but movie. but he still sang Annie. pretty well though. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's a different type of Annie, but he still sang really well in that. Though. That's true. He's um, extremely talented, but I just can't see, see him, him doing no, that. And I didn't know what song they were singing, but like right and when they were still recording all this stuff, I saw because they posted on Instagram a photo of them two being like recording in studio, and I was like, Barbara Streisand and Jamie Foxx were singing together. Yeah. And I didn't know that it was like Broadway. I didn't know anything. That's true. About he did it. Ray. Yeah, yeah that was amazing. Ray. Yeah. Um, and then she does four other songs. I don't know what time it was. Not a day goes by. Fifty percent and losing my mind. Those are just her. They're not oh, compilations. Gosh, that sounds amazing. So go check that out. Buy it. Support Barbara. Not that she needs more money, but she can. Sure, <laughs> she earned it. You know, she earned it. I, I can't uh, hate on it. <laughs> well, thank you again to Robert Diamond Broadway World dot com for giving us this news every week. You can see these stories, more stories, more in depth on them uh, at BroadwayWorld dot com. So check them out. All right, let's dip into this musical. So let's talk a little bit about the actors. I'm just going to talk mainly about the three main actors. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so Joel Gray, MC, and I have a picture of him as well that will be popped up up, and I'm sure in just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's basically the same MC. Wasn't yeah, he? yeah. The only thing, the only thing that's um, that's a little bit of a bummer to me is that there's not enough Joel Gray. I feel yes, like his part gets a lot. Yeah, his part got his part got cut a lot, and then you think um, it. I understand that a movie has to be something separate, and I understand that in creating a movie, you have to create something that works for film and not for stage. Mm-hmm, right. But I do miss that like through line where the MC is kind of the person that's bringing you through everything, and here you're really just following Sally's story. Right, right. I definitely, I, I just think that it's tough because I actually wasn't super familiar with the musical version as we were kind of saying before, and then reading about it, um, I, I kind of really understand why they made those choices because I just think it's so hard to do the classical musical theater. Here I'm singing to the audience and like presenting my all my emotion. It just comes off. They put him in the cabaret because it made sense. Exactly. I think it feels there. more real, and I think in film, things have to feel more real, or they can feel really fake and phony really fast. So I, I guess I understand why they did what they did, but... Well, I see... You know what? What's interesting is uh, when you think of the movie Chicago, mm-hmm. the, um, the one with Catherine Zeta-Jones, et yes. cetera, et cetera, um, that movie managed to work the stage numbers in 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 a different kind of way in which they were like a fantasy yes. of, of the people. So there are different, I guess, like techniques, and the one that they chose here was to just put all the numbers in the Kit Clack Club. Well, and yeah. I think that yeah. part of it was, too, that they, this movie is definitely a compilation of the theater production and the movie I Am a Camera mm-hmm. and the original stories. They kind of tried to smush them together. Yeah. Um, and the MC doesn't exist in the I Am a Camera or in that she works at Cabaret, but you never go to the Cabaret except for once so yeah to make him work and keep the other story i think where she's not really in the cabaret that much yeah also knowing you cast liza minnelli as the lead role i could also see where it's like you might as well use her to the best of her abilities yeah yeah it is funny though because i do think that fossey loves this kind of lurking you know um guide and like pippin he did mm-hmm. pippin right afterwards you know and the players and they're all watching and you know um, so I, I, I am surprised that I felt like his Joel Gray's role was so minimalized because I feel like that's such a fossy thing that yeah. he would have loved. But, you know, you never know. I mean, maybe, as you're saying, when you have Liza Minnelli, you have to give her enough, enough time. of a focus. <laughs> yeah. Well, and let's move on to Liza Minnelli a little bit because this was, I feel, her breakout mm. kind of role. Like, this was where she became... Everyone knows her as this role. Yeah, they said it was the first time she ever sang on film. So she had just done theater, you know, of course, before, I guess. And sang with her mom, probably. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she Um, had been in movies before, but I don't think she sang sang. before. Right, And I have another picture of her, because this is her, like, in the mind hair, like, kind of my inspired look of her right now. And then this is the big doe-eyed Julie Garland look Mm, right here. Yeah. (laughs) We were saying how much she looks like her mom. She really does. uh, Especially, it's just the eyes, those big doe eyes. Yeah, yeah. And she just wears the big eyelashes to over, like, they accentuate the big eyes even more. Right? Yeah. They're huge. The makeup in this movie is so interesting because you have, uh, you have everybody with, like, this very minimal eyeliner, big eyelashes, and then, like, eyeshadow up to their eyebrows. And then, um, I watched a video because she worked with Fosse a lot to create the look, especially for Sally, Mm. and... She said she would just come in and do random things. Like, when she cut her hair, she didn't ask him. She went and cut the V into it. And then she's like, look what I did. Isn't And he goes, it's amazing. And, and then he was like, what if I didn't like it? She goes, oh, I knew you'd like it. <laughs> That's funny. 
Then you just think she has to wear her hair, like, unless she cuts it shorter, she'd have to wear that V until the rest of her hair grew up. Yeah. I feel like it's just so 70s, like, too, you know, that time It's kind period. of a mixture, because it's right yeah. coming out of the 60s. Yeah. Because my boyfriend said it was very, like, the makeup and everything, he's like, I just keep thinking of clockwork orange. <laughs> right, right, right. That's true. And then the outfits she wears. Holy crap, like, I didn't think about that, Brianna. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you can thank Stephen. Uh, yeah, I will. The outfits she wears, though, she has that jumpsuit when she sings at the cabaret song at the end. Um, that's so 70s. Yes, like, yes. Straight out of the 70s. Yeah. Yes. There's definitely mixtures. And the plunging necklines yeah. and things that she does, they're very 70s. But I feel like the makeup inspiration is very 60s, very... Yes, um, Twiggy. Twiggy, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Except for the eyebrows, which are well, actually period. Well, that's, I think, throwback to, yeah. The eyebrows are actually period, yeah. which um, I I appreciate the eyebrows and the like, the pointy lips that are all very period to the 1930s. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other big name we have in here, um, who most people know from Austin Powers, from our generation, yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael York. And they named him Brian Roberts in this one. I still don't understand the movie and what, the play. Like I, I was looking online. I was like, "What is the justification of this name change?" Can't find it. Can't find yeah. it. It made no sense to me because it's like he had a different name in the in the movie than the play, but it's neither of those names, right? Yeah. So, but I, I liked him in this. I liked when I was little, like watching this. Like, this was probably like the first like visual view I had seen of like a guy like loving another man. Yeah. Um, and though they don't show it, and he's so cute, you too. still like get that face. feeling. I know. I think he's just perfect for this role yeah. because yep. he seems so impressionable, and you know he's so carried away by Sally and her life and her fabulousness, and then like he seems just so you know pure beforehand. You know, and then, it's, it's just he's perfect. Speaking to that, it's so interesting to me that they flip and they have they cast a British actor here and, and then an American, American actress because. When you look at it, if you're looking at, like, stereotypes, like, he does seem, the character does seem more British. British. And then where where he's, like, a scholar. Yeah. Not to say that um, we don't have scholars here in America, but, I mean, yeah. she's so much more American to me, where she's like, I want to be famous. Totally. And I'm interested in, like, getting I mean, to know think, famous people. I think... British and American at some points kind of have that same, like, more than any other country. They have similarities like that. The thing that with, with Brits, fame. though, is like the way Brits feel about fame is like, meh. It's not the way, like, we Americans, yeah. we're like disgusting about fame. We are just fame gross. Horse. But it may yeah. have been, but the 30s may have also been a very different feel than it is now with fame. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, these are stories that were written off experiences, so I don't know if maybe he met, like, a British woman that was obsessed with it. Mm. And maybe that's why she left England. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I do agree with you, though. For some reason, maybe it's the generation we live in now. Right. It feels so right that he's British and, like, stiff upper lip and kind of, like, very reserved and, like, she is this outgoing, crazy, like, you know, smoking the cigarettes, doing drugs, like, partying. Um, it just feels right. But Yeah. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. I was just yeah, kind of trying to see if maybe there was a... Yeah. Um... Okay, then we also, I don't have pictures for these people and stuff, but we do have the entrance of three characters that weren't in the play. We have Maximilian von Hoon, Fritz Wepper, and Natalia Landauer. And these are all characters from the original stories in I Am a Camera. 
I w- you know what's interesting is like before I figured out that they were characters from I Am and Camera, I was like, I really love the Fräulein Schneider and um, Herr Schultz storyline mm. from the original. And so I was like, huh, I don't like that they like Fräulein Schneider here is just literally like a housefrau. Yeah. And then um, Herr Schultz doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. And I was like, I was so mad about that in the sense that I feel like. I guess we're more cognizant of it now, but in a lot of movies, like old people get treated as like side stories, stereotypes. Yeah, and, yeah. Like they're they're never cameos. Yeah, they're never like a main interesting plotline, which mm-hmm. which is what to me is so be- one of the most beautiful parts about the original musical is like you have these older people having this like this romantic and very like heavy plotline. <laughs> um, so I was bummed out about that, but then knowing that it. It, there was an inspiration for mm-hmm. the younger characters. I'm like, okay, I see that, but maybe you should have had the housefrau had a different name, so I didn't feel as irritated. No, because her, well, she's still frau. She's still there in the movie too. So. Right, but she's that, still yeah. she's that small part. In yeah, the, in the movie. Um, but she seems kind of like an idiot. I was like, why? Why yeah. in this movie does she? Seem... Because in the original book, she is. Oh, she is. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think that's where they drew that inspiration from. Um, she's very. She's like sleeping with Bobby who's a younger man in the house. He's not the cabaret Bobby, but he's a younger man in the house. She's sleeping with him. She's making fun of Fräulein um, Kost. She's very kind of floozy kind of character, which is, that's why last week I said she's so different than the one we see in the play. They made her more, because I, I'm trying to like figure out, like they kind of make, they kind of take certain aspects from uh, Natalia and uh, Fritz and give them to Schultz and Schneider in the play. Yeah. Okay. That's how I t- felt. Because they made her more reserved, which Natalia is a very reserved person. Yeah. And then they made Fritz, like, doofy lo- love kind of guy. And I do like the twist, and you'll have to let me know if this is what happens in I Am Camera. I do like the twist that it turns out he was pretending to be Protestant the whole time to right. save himself. And then here he goes and falls in love with a Jewish woman and is like... Well, now I have do to... Do I embrace my true identity? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right out from the movie. That, that I mean, I did I did appreciate that plot line because you have you have the plot line here where you're showing... Um, you have this, like, ro- this, like, beautiful, fun, like, kind of, like, menage a trois going on and then you have her house getting, like, vandalized yeah. and her dog, dog. getting that's killed. Awesome. Yeah. You have this very dark side plot line showing, like, this is, like, these are the terrible things that are really happening now. I thought it was a great tie, too, because at the time, you know, homosexuality and that being such a, you know, massive part of this story, like, embracing your true identity, which in this case for him, it was him being Jewish. But yeah. in another case, it's, like, embracing if you're gay, you know, whatever it is, and then having to deal with whatever that fate is. He does get married to her as a Jew, and we don't see it, but he's going to have to endure the consequences. I'm assuming well, in right. living in Nazi Germany, if, like if they follow so, the suit, they don't show it in this film. But if they follow the suit of Iama camera, then they leave Germany. Okay, that's smart. well, good. Yeah. So I I'm like happy. to believe that that's what yes, okay. yeah. in Germany. But still, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like I it's know, it's it. um they had to still like uh, escape their lives, you know, leave their lives behind and all of their family and everything. I'm sure, whatever. But I think it's kind of a cool. Um, juxtapositioning that you know whatever it is you have to kind of follow your heart and as difficult as it may be yeah. I like I love that they show too that he's this like 
oh, I just want a rich wife, and I want to, like, mm-hmm. Right, he wants to be thing. a gigolo. And then, <laughs> but then ends up falling in love, but right. never happens to be with a rich woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, in this movie, and I I had forgotten because I hadn't seen it in so many years, but there's, like, those, the Nazi subplot, it, it's much more minimal than it is in the play. Yes. Yeah. Like, it doesn't get forced um, into your brain as much. Like, you're mm. not, like... The only part that I feel like I actually get, like, besides the dog, um, is them singing Tomorrow's for me and everyone standing up. Yeah, and, like, that oh, part so actually eerie. made me really mad because um, I think part of what we forget looking back at Nazi Germany is the fact that, like, and this is what Cabaret the Play does so well. It's like, everybody's having a blast, everybody's having a blast, and, like, you know, like to compare Donald Trump and Hitler, I'm going to do it. Um, you have, no, I know you guys are going to hate me. I stand uh, but, but you have these these characters that you come in, like Hitler, that you're like, ah, what an idiot. And you think oh, it's yeah. just a joke. Oh, yeah. And then it suddenly is not a joke yeah. anymore. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I they, think. They start it, they don't bring it home. Yeah. And I think, though, the other problem, the problem I have with Tomorrow Belongs to Me is like, they make everyone in that in that um, beer garden seem evil, and what it should be is like it should be brainwashing. You mean? Like- yeah, it should be more like brainwashing or more like see I didn't- see how this happens, and it doesn't happen. Like evil doesn't happen where a guy in a black cape shows up at your doorstep and is like ha. It happens subtly, and it happens like invasively into the culture, and that's how it happened in Nazi Germany. So it was really bothersome to me to just like. I love the start off where you have the guy singing and then it, you pan down and he's in the Hitler youth costume. But then you basically like have everyone like bouncing up and like Zeke Heil and like putting up their hands. And I'm like, don't think that it, like you would, the, the, you have the like one lone guy who feels uncomfortable. And I was like, really? We only have one guy who but, feels uncomfortable here? So I, th- I think that's so interesting that you say that because my impression was actually bringing it back to the Trump situation is that like, People get caught up because they're frustrated with the current situation and they see this as the answer. And I felt like they didn't, they weren't thinking, we're going to kill all the Jews. Like that wasn't what I felt they were doing at that picnic. I felt like they were embracing Germany and like they had their beers and they were like dressed in traditional clothes and they were like, yes, we're bringing back Germany. And I think that was their mindset. And then Fosse style is like making it seem like they don't even know and that's what how, they're embracing. That's is how is the impression I got. I got took it like that, and I also took it as like because it's one person singing, and then one person yeah. stands up, and then everyone's kind of like, "Oh, well, they're doing it's, it. Well, I'm gonna do it." It's well, like that poem, you know, about the Holocaust. Like first they came for this, I didn't say anything. Then they came, and then you know they they came for the Jews, and I yeah, didn't they say, came for the and Jews, and then they I came for me, and there was no Jew, and then they yeah, came for me, and there was no one left. To, exactly. To talk about. So yeah. I, I felt like it was that that like they're just like, yeah, go Germany, and nobody was taking it seriously. Nobody was thinking. Oh, yeah, because actually when Hitler first kind of came to power, he wasn't, you know, so upfront about, like... He was voted of, into power. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, he wasn't, in, you know, he and wasn't then he became a so dictator. aggressive. Yeah. And, then it, and then it got worse and worse and finger-pointing and all the propaganda and slowly, mm-hmm. um, which is... It didn't happen overnight. Yeah, exactly. So I, I really... That's what I kind of loved about that moment is I felt like people were just so ignorant to what they were embracing and endorsing mm-hmm. and like you know putting supporting um i did find it a weird 
time to kind of introduce the love of them two, of yeah. the two men. Yeah. Um, I thought, like, oh, this is when you wanted to start oh, see, I thought it made such sense because, really? well, gays were also, you know, persecuted I mean, in, that, yeah. in that time and, and killed. So I thought that it was like, here are people sitting here enjoying a beer in the company of, and they don't even know what's happening around them. And I think that that's like what's crazy is is it's like the cabaret, like all this stuff, all these lights, all these things going on, and nobody's looking at the source and like what's really happening. Um, I don't know. That was my. I thought it was kind of really cool that they were just sitting there like two normal guys two in this situation where you know, in a, only a matter of time, they're gonna be, you know. Um. The part, the I mean, the parts I like are the parts where you have the 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 people at the cabaret consistently making fun of like German politics the whole Mm -hmm. time. And then um, even more so to me than in the play, because you have them wearing traditional German clothes. They pull the hats mm -hmm. down. Yeah. He takes the the, mud. mm -hmm. They're really, really like hammering it home. And then towards the end, you have this kind of like watered down, (laughs) hope everybody feels good. Okay. Now it's awkward. I mean, I, I liked that because it shows how much the cabaret scene became more and more and more censored by Nazi mm. Germany to the point where, like, they didn't have that freedom anymore to mm-hmm. be able to speak up against their own government. Yeah. Um, and I did, you know, the music also was another part of this that I really enjoyed, that while they took songs away, because they did take a lot out, mm-hmm. but they always had, if you notice, the background, whenever the gramophone's going, it's one of the songs yeah. mm-hmm. that yeah. they took out, Yeah, playing in an instrumental form. So yeah. I liked that, like, little throw to fans of the show mm-hmm. like we're not going to give you these songs we yeah. replaced some of them but they're here yeah um and actually i read something because the two songwriters uh i'm going to kind of lead this into kind of what the movie did on a larger scale people got really upset at them because a lot like when you watch a film it comes on such a grander scale and more people are seeing it that don't know that aren't part of theater mm. and they were getting so mad at them for certain songs like tomorrow belongs to me and um, if you could see her through my eyes, because they were like, it's anti-Semitic, you guys are terrible people, like, how could you write songs like this? And then it came out that they were Jewish, mm. and then everyone had to kind of be like, oh, never mind. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that that was a little weird thing, because it just, it just speaks to our, um, to people in general, like yeah. how people are so fast to rush into something. And that kind of speaks to the play, too. People were, so, like, rushing into following this leader because they thought it was going to make a better world for them and in reality it's a terrible thing like even something on a smaller scale of rushing into assuming something about a songwriter when yeah well that's interesting because you know usually people you know that are either survivors of the holocaust or even just jews in general um are you know you want to kind of keep the discussion going. So, yeah, there those songs are anti-Semitic, but it's in that place, in this context, saying, like, this is what happened. You know I what I mean? I just hate that that's that thing, like, oh, oh, because they're Jewish, it's okay for them to write those songs. It's like, no, those songs it's, are important it's, to it's have. It's important, exactly. Whether that's what I mean. They serve, they serve this purpose in this show to tell the story, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's interesting. Um, so going into that a little bit, because the film... Like we've always, I've always said this before too, because film does reach more people and it affects more people and people that are outside the theater community. Like the wait, sex so they stuff. didn't? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm like, they didn't like Tomorrow Belongs to Me because they thought it was anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. That's not that, even it, true. It doesn't make any sense. That yeah. doesn't make any sense. Some, like people don't always need sense. Yeah, yeah, because that song, that song uh, is 
Because it's speaking, I think because it's speaking from a Hitler youth, like, they were upset. Yeah, I could see that, but the thing is, like, the thing, and I said this, I said this when we talked about the, when we talked about the play, like, that song, when you take it out of the context of putting it in a, like, a Hitler youth person, it's it's just, it's, yeah, it's a really beautiful song, and it's just a person. Or if you just take away just the chorus, the rest of the lyrics are just very pretty lyrics. There, it's really literally just a song about like pride in in their country and so the only thing that makes it kind of like weird in this instance is the context and so it's like you have what you had was exactly what you were saying is like people who were very very proud of their country and you know they thought they were expressing pride in their country and then that turned into something very very terrible right right no it's very interesting but that's so fossy to have a song that is so beautiful and is so innocent other than the context i mean it he rhymes, does that all you know the what's time funny is it reminds me things. of edelweiss exactly and, and, yeah and exactly. so Which when you think about edelweiss song. it's used in the opposite way it's yeah. used in kind of like a mournful like what has happened to my country right, right. kind of way versus how it's used here well and it's like saying oh the, the you know showboat Every song in that, you know, that is racist. Well, yeah, it's to tell the story of what happened at this period so that this never happens again. Yeah. You know? I mean, but that's Um, just... No, it's interesting. That's just cultures for people to jump on things like that sometimes. Yeah. And to make a big deal out of something that is so positive if you really think about it. Right, right, right. And this film also did, like, you know, because the sexual conduct in it, it took all these risks for that time period and... People were like, I mean, I love it. This, this film was huge, but there was also like so much outrage over like, how could they be doing this? How could they show this? How could <laughs> they, they have a threesome? Off? Yeah, not really like, show. It's the very. I have to make it's a heavily little, implied. I have to make a story about the threesome really fast because I did grow up watching this film, and like I said before, my mom always never let me watch like PG thirteen or rated R, but I could watch Sweeney Todd and Cabaret and all these like dark musicals, and that song was my favorite song growing up. <laughs> Oh, and so yeah. I was little, and I'd go to church and stuff with her, and I'd be singing this song. <laughs> and I asked her, but I was like, did I make this up in my head, or is this real? She goes, no, you did that. I was like, okay. Because I just imagine her being like, because like all these old women at church probably hear, like, two ladies. <laughs> I like it better with a drag queen, I must say. But that's just because I like everything better with a drag queen. I did like, though, that in this film, they took the women and made them look very unattractive. Mm. Yes. Like, very... They almost looked like men dressed as women. Yeah. Well, there was one. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. The blonde. Yeah. The blonde that's that definitely keeps, a man. That you yeah. can that's definitely a man. Yeah. The one that she slides in and tells tells the guy she has syphilis. Right, and right. And then she slides the, the one yeah. woman in with him, that's the man. Yeah. I was like, that guy's gonna have a rude awakening. Yeah. Later tonight when he takes this woman home. Um, um, but, like, talking about, like, how crazy it was to people, and even though that they were, like outraged by certain things they did it won so much many oscars and was nominated for so many oscars it is the top uh nominated or it was a nominated most or academy and nominations Shin- by a film that did not, not actually win best, win best picture win yes. best picture yeah it's crazy yeah um because we have the director um bob fossey won best director uh, Lee, Liza Minnelli won Best Act, Leading Actress, uh, Joel Grey won Best Supporting Actor, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Original Song Score or Adaption Score, Best Art Direction, Best Sound, 
And then it was also nominated for Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay, which this is, yeah. you know, this is one instance when we were talking about, uh, like a couple episodes ago, talking about um, the Les Mis musical where they put in that song. And they are always trying to do like an Oscar grab song. This is one instance where I felt like they wrote a lot of extra songs that were really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's a now- I mean, you know, <laughs> they're like the best. <laughs> well, it's um, like the first one I feel like that when they went and revived it, they brought those songs in yeah. from the film. Yeah. Because usually they just leave those to the film. Yeah. I don't think Les Mis is going to bring Suddenly in any time. Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I think it's interesting, though, too, because I was reading that Sweet Charity, Bob Fosse had directed, like, three years before the film uh, version of Sweet Charity, and it was a disaster. And I don't think I've actually seen the film version of Sweet Charity, but my guess would be, and you can let us know unless you guys have seen it, but um, is that maybe he stuck stuck more to the actual um, score and the actual script from the musical, and maybe that's why he departed so drastically for Cabaret. It was like, that didn't work at all. Um, And maybe, I don't know, I'd like to watch the film and see. Yeah. I haven't seen the film, but I could, I mean, I could imagine that, but I mean, then you have Gypsy, which became a very popular film and stuck like insanely close to the original musical. It's always interesting. That's why I love doing these discussions with it kind of contrasting to the play because it's so interesting to see what they do with it when they Mm -hmm. turn to a film, whether Mm -hmm. it's good or bad. Yeah. Um, Now, Angela, you weren't here last week, so we discussed our kind of, we call it a diva song moment. It's our song from the player musical uh, that we just love to sing. Mine hair. Mine hair. I love. Oh, neither of us from, have that. So, but see, I have a different one for the movie one? than I do from the play because the movie is to me like a, a whole different entity. You have okay. to look at it. So, what's your favorite? So, one mine from is Cabaret. Yeah, I mean that too. I yeah. was just about to say. I mean, I mean when you have Liza Minnelli singing Cabaret, you Come might as well. The yeah, I mean you can. It's so, so freaking many iconic. Of the songs. Well, that was so amazing. different too because this is the first one where Sally was an actually like very good singer. Mm-hmm. Like, before she, I mean, she could always sing, but this was, like, Liza Minnelli. I think that's, too, why they added in so many songs for her. You know, there's so many moments for her that she can really belt it out. I also think that's why they didn't take her, they kept with the story of her staying with the cabaret instead of the story of her getting kicked out. Yeah. Because they wanted her to be a part of all of these songs. Yeah. she never sings with the MC, I don't think, in the theater production. Yeah. That I can remember. Um, mm-hmm. And she, they The money song money. is not, yeah. And then, uh, you're right, like, I, I like this where, um... She basically, she makes her own decisions throughout the whole film. She makes her own decision to have the abortion. She makes her own decision that she's going to stay with the theater and, like, this is she's going to pursue this dream. Yeah, have the abortion and, yeah. Well, she had to. She she yeah. knew that, that was never even no much how much she wanted to, like, just persuade herself that she could have that life, she would never be happy no. with that life. She's got to have the cabaret, the life of the cabaret. And she'd be, she loves shocking people. Yeah. And having a baby kind of just fits with her persona of being this like very sleeping around woman and stuff yeah. and having a child with a man you don't know who's the father yeah and I think too um there was that moment when they're out um lying under the trees that she kind of looks at him and she knows his thoughts are elsewhere and I think yeah she's saying he's gay you yeah. know or he at least is never going to be fully satisfied with me and I think she's just kind of like I'm not going to do this to him and I'm not going to do it to me and that's why and I also um, think she likes being the center of attention and mm-hmm. if a baby's there she's not the center of attention yeah. anymore yeah yeah that's true too yeah um I mean I also love maybe this time 
I mean, mm -hmm. she's that's her Judy Garland moment. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's like rocking it with yeah. the, the Judy Garland. I love how they do maybe in this time in this too, where they do the little like cuts mm -hmm. into their lives and like, yeah. maybe those three girls were just the wrong three girls. Right. Like, yeah. need to see their little love story kind of play out yeah. fast tracked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, guys. So now we're getting towards the end. Let's talk about what we prefer, film or theater. Angela? Well, I, you know, I, I you know, know you I can... love the film. I mean, I, I just think that Liza Minnelli is so iconic in this that it's hard to even kind of compare it, in my opinion, to this the the theater version. Just because I love her her voice, I love this is her moment in history, and um, I also love Bob Fosse and everything he does. I mean, I, I I'm a huge fan of of all of his work so and his style so definitely for me the film okay I can't pick because I feel like the film is so different to me as far as like some of the storylines they picked but I it's not different in a bad way it's just different so I, I feel like I can't pick between the two because there's something very very wonderful and beautiful about the film but to me there's something um that the theater production does that you can't even really replicate in a film there's a lot of like uh audience interaction that you just can't do in a film so why would you try mm -hmm. um so i can't i can't pick for me um at this point in my life like being older and i've seen now both uh i think i lean a little more towards theater just because of i like the darkness the theater brings mm. but I will always have a huge place in my heart with this film like i said i grew up with this film from like a very young age watching it and I didn't even know that there was a different version. Yeah. So I, it's like, it's like making a one percent difference in between the theater and the film for me. Yeah. As well. All right, guys, that's the end of our show. We're going to be back next week uh, talking a chorus line, the theater production. Uh, make sure you always check us out on SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, and of course YouTube. Subscribe and comment below. We have a Facebook page, Broadway Breakdown. We have a YouTube Broadway B Down. Follow us there. Follow us on our also on our own Twitters. And where are those again? Uh, Angela Struck. You can find me on Twitter at bangelastruck and on Instagram and Snapchat at Angela Struck. I'm one two three Jackie B on Instagram, Twitter, my blog, and then on Snapchat I'm Jackie B one two three and Bfips fourteen. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you. Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.